Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week three, day three of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 7, 30 through 59. Well, welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us? Fascinate us with your word. We want to encounter you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's Word. We'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 7, starting in verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. <clears throat> Pause right there. Picking back up. Yesterday, we ended, we we're halfway through this sermon that Stephen is giving to the Sanhedrin. He's been accused by people from the synagogue of the freedmen, people who are Hellenistic Jews. We've discussed what a Hellenistic Jew is earlier in the podcast. And so they brought him before the Sanhedrin, and they've accused him that he's trying to get everyone to turn away from the law of Moses and, and Judaism and all this kind of stuff. And they've said, oh, this is true. And so he's gone to this long sermon and now we're talking about Moses where he's, he's been giving a history lesson to them and we're, he's going to go at length into a history lesson on Moses. Verse 33. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Verse 35, this is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you a ruler and judge? <clears throat> he was sent to be ruler and deliverer by God himself th through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. I don't know if the Lord spoke to Moses while he was in Egypt, in, in this prophetic manner, the way he did like the burning bush, it, it might very well be that the Lord spoke prophetically to Moses earlier in his life when he's still living in the palace and saying, I have, I've called you to be essentially ruler and judge and deliverer of my people Israel. <clears throat> and so Moses, I think the way I read this, and again, the Bible doesn't make this clear. The Bible does not say this, but the way the storyline of Moses' life reads, I almost think, and in almost the same fashion as the Lord spoke to Joseph and said, I'm going to make you ruler over your, your parents and your brothers, right? And so he's thinking, wow, that's really neat. I don't know how that's going to happen, but that's pretty cool. And so he tells them, right? It ends up happening, but it doesn't go the way that Joseph thought it would. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of jealousy, some prison, some mistreatment. Out of, in, he, I mean, he comes in and out of prison. I mean, Joseph's life is a train wreck, because of his brother's jealousy and because of this destiny that the Lord has him on, going from point A to point B for Joseph was, was not uh, just a wonderful experience. And the same thing for Moses. I have a feeling, I have a sense that the Lord spoke to Moses while he was in Egypt and told him what he was going to do. And in between that moment and when the Lord does it is 40 years in the desert, Right? The Lord has a deal with 40 years in the desert. He sends Moses to the desert for 40s. Moses ends up spending 80 years of his life almost in the desert wandering around uh, out of his uh, 80 out of 120 of his years. And so um, the Lord, you know, sends Moses away and he just goes through 
anonymity and he's watching sheep. He was in charge of Egypt. I mean, th there's just a whole bunch of unpleasantness for Moses in between. But I have a feeling the Lord spoke that to him when he was in Egypt. I don't think that he was presumptuous thinking, well, I'm in the palace and, you know, so I'm, I'm your ruler. Um, you can make that claim, I suppose, but I, I really do think, and again, the Bible does not say this explicitly, but this is me reading between the lines. I think the Lord spoke prophetically to Moses and Moses knew that he was going to be the ruler and judge of Israel. <clears throat> and it took a lot of jealousy and some time in the desert before the Lord sends him back. And then he leads them out. He does exactly what the Lord says, just, you know, 40 or 50 years later, verse 37. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. Now, the Israelites, and, and this, is, this is a difficult thing because I don't know if at this time, if the rabbinical teaching was what it is now. But there are essentially two sets of laws that Jews operate by. The first is the written word, the written law. That's the Torah. That's the Old Testament, essentially. The law and the prophets uh, combined of the Torah. <clears throat> the, what's referred to as the Talmud, these are the extra-biblical teachings that are now written down. But at this point, when Stephen is giving this, there the, all of the extra-biblical teachings, what we now see as the Talmud, all the Midrash and Mishnah and all the, the different parts of the Talmud, I'm not going to get into the technical details of that right now, but all of those things, they were not written down at this time. One of the reasons for that was they believed that it can't be written down. It has to be orally passed on. So this was an oral tradition. You had to go, one of the reasons why you had to learn in the temple from the rabbis was because most of what Judaism was and most of their learning and understanding and history was oral and oral only. Everything extra biblical had to be oral because they didn't want anything that they taught to have equal footing as scripture itself, which was a very good ideal. Um, it ended up where Jesus even says, like, your traditions, what he's talking about is the, your oral tradition, the teachings you give, it supersedes the law and actually contradicts it, <laughs> right? So it was, it was a well-intentioned idea that just fell apart pretty quickly after they came up with this. <clears throat> now, and, and I don't know that even any Jewish scholars believe this. Maybe some of them do. I'm, I'm not fully versed on the, the breadth of Jewish scholarship. Um, but the teaching at least is today is that the oral law, what's now the written Talmud was passed down from Moses. Moses received the written law, the 10 commandments on the mountain, but he also re received the oral law and that both have existed simultaneously together since Moses went on the mountain. I don't know that they believe that in the first century when Stephen is saying that. I, I think that is a later addition to their understanding. I think it's a bit of a fairy tale. I don't think that's true because the oral tradition really picks up after Babylon, during and after Babylon, Babylonian exile. <clears throat> so I don't, I don't think that that's uh, even remotely true, but it's what they teach. What I don't know is if they taught it back then. Stephen seems to, you know, be alluding to like this, Moses is the guy, right? 
He's the one who said there's going to be a prophet. This is, it's not in capital letters in, in you know, our text here, but I always call it the capital P prophet. It's like not prophets or a prophet, the prophet, one guy, one guy he's saying he's the one who told us about the prophet like him, right? He's the one who's in the assembly. He's the one who spoke. And I think when he's saying like the living words, I think what he's saying is, is even if they didn't believe at that point that the oral law started with Moses, they believe that it, it goes back to Moses. There's stories and there's things like that in the oral tradition that go very, very far back. Anyway, all that's to say, Moses is a big deal to Jews. Moses may be a Bible story to you if you're a Gentile Christian, maybe a Sunday school reality, but to the Jews, Moses is a huge deal. Moses is, is, you know, Abraham, Moses, Jacob, David, Elijah. These are some of the, the pillars of the faith in the Old Testament. Moses is a very, very big deal. And what Moses did, I mean, every year they're supposed to gather and eat the Passover meal. And the Lord commanded them to remember what he did through Moses for the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. This is huge, right? Again, it might not be that huge to you if you're a Gentile Christian, but if you're a Jew, then then Moses is a very, very big deal. And so Stephen is taking, and again, I think under the, the, the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit, Stephen is painting this picture that's going to become, should already be very clear to us, but it's going to be very clear what he's saying. He's not going to mince words. He's taking a, a play from Stephen, uh, from Peter's book here later on. Let's continue on verse 39. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and their hearts turned back to Egypt. Verse 40. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time that they made an idol from in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god, Raphon. These are pagan foreign gods from the nations that they were there to dispossess. Continuing on, <clears throat> the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Verse 44, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It has been made as God, it had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophets say, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So Stephen is... He's, he's weaved this through, right? Most of this time he spent on Moses and how the people rejected Moses, how the Lord anointed Moses to be their ruler and judge, and they rejected him for exactly that. Like, who made you ruler and judge? Well, as it turns out, God did. 
God made him ruler and judge, and they still rejected him. And even after he led them out of Egypt, they rebelled against him and they turned against him. And they, they served foreign gods. And then he very quickly fast forwards through the history of the kings, the, the judges, the time of the judges and the time of the kings to the Babylonian exile. He fast forwards through that, you know, saying, <clears throat> you know, they continued to rebel against them, right? And they had the, the tabernacle with them. They had this thing that was built by human hands. And it wasn't, and, and he kind of ends with this idea of Solomon building the temple. But Solomon says this thing when he dedicates the temple, right? You would think when Solomon's dedicating what is hands down the most expensive building that has ever been built in human history, the temple in Jerusalem under Solomon. It's not a big building, but it was gold-plated. I mean, literally gold-plated. There has not been a more expensive building in human history than the temple that Solomon built. <clears throat> Talk about that in our our podcast in the book of Kings. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't want to get into that, but just trust me on this. This is the most expensive building ever made in human history. And so, <clears throat> so Solomon's built this thing. You would think of the dedication and be like, Lord, look at this awesome building I've made. And what he says is, this building, the most expensive thing in human history up till then and even until now, 3,000 plus years later. <clears throat> no building has ever been built as expensive as that little building. And Solomon says, what I've built here is kind of a joke. Because heaven is your throne and the earth, the whole of the earth is your footstool. How much less than this little plot of ground where I've built this little building? How much less is this? That's what Solomon's saying. He's like, nothing can contain you. He's like, we've built this temple and other, other religions, other, these, these other nations with their false gods, they build temples and they think that the temples contain their gods. He's like, this thing can't contain you. You made everything. You know, God says, has not my hand made all of these things that you used to make this little thing, this cute little thing here? Nothing can contain God. This is how he ends this history lesson. He's just telling them that, that this God of creation, he's not contained by anything that they've built. Nothing they've built contains this God. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. <clears throat> when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is a big deal. 
the Messiah, they understand what he's saying. He's saying they see the Messiah. They know that he means Jesus, but he's saying the Messiah in general. He's saying he is standing at the right hand of God. This, out of everything that he said, they're angry beyond imagination at him for him accusing them of rejecting God. They're there to ask, how have you rejected God? Because they're there to say, because you believe Jesus is the Messiah, you are rejecting God. You are a blasphemer. And he turns it around on them and he says, no, you have rejected God just like all of your ancestors did, right? There, there weren't any prophets, really, except for Jeremiah. They weren't, they weren't martyred for what they were saying, but they were all persecuted. They were all mistreated by the people that the Lord sent them to. Right? There were always these companies of prophets prophesying whatever the kings and the people wanted to hear. And there was always like one or two guys that the Lord would send with the true word of the Lord. And they persecuted that guy, not the prophets that were lying to them. So here they are standing in that same place again. And Stephen is pointing that out. It makes them so angry. But what makes them angry beyond imagination is when Stephen says, I see the Messiah, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Messiah doesn't stand in honor of a human. This is what they're thinking. This is blasphemy of blasphemies, as the Messiah would not stand for a human being. We bow to him. He does not stand for us. But here Jesus In honor of what Stephen has just spoken and the boldness that he's spoken it with, his reliance on the Holy Spirit, Jesus does just that. But we have here, we have something earth-shatteringly crazy. It's the God of creation. He created us and we rebelled against him. And our hearts are continually rebellious, We're constantly needing repentance to come back to him. Stephen was no different than us in that way. He shed his own blood for us to cover our sins and redeem us to God. And he stands as Stephen offers up his life for the truth. Jesus stands up at the right hand of God. This is unthinkable. This is an unthinkable reality. <clears throat> we didn't deserve to be rescued. Our sins deserve punishment. We didn't deserve being offered grace, and we certainly didn't deserve the Son of God, God in the flesh, bleeding and dying to take away our sins. We didn't deserve him rising from the dead so that we could have eternal life with him. We don't deserve to live in heaven. We don't deserve to have our sins taken away. We don't deserve for Jesus to return and live with us forever on the earth. We don't deserve any of those things. Most of all, no human being deserves to have the Son of God, the Son of Man, stand in their honor 
And yet Jesus does just that. That is the goodness of the God that we serve. <clears throat> when we walk and we honor him, he stands for us. Verse 57, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Like little children, when Stephen says, I see the Son of Man standing. Like little children, they stuck their fingers in their ears. And they started shouting so they couldn't hear him say anything else. And they rushed at him and grabbed him and took him out of the city and stoned him to death. And Saul, who I think was involved in this from the beginning, because we're going to find out later that he makes his rounds to the Hellenistic synagogues in Jerusalem. <clears throat> I think Saul was part of the accusation in the beginning, and he's the one that they're laying their coats at. He's like, y'all take care of business, and I'll kind of manage this thing. We're going to hear more about Saul later. But the thing that I, I never get away from in this story is that Jesus stood to honor Stephen in this moment. How many countless saints through the centuries have given their life, have stood for the truth about Jesus, even when it cost them their lives? How many countless saints has the Lord stood up for in those moments? I think it's a lot. I want to live the kind of life where Jesus would stand in my honor. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's, I pray that's the kind of person you want to be, that Jesus would one day stand for you and me. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.